0: Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel retiring or studying abroad or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Wanderers Wealth. One of the greatest challenges and also one of the greatest opportunities for digital nomads, expats, people who are building businesses abroad is in the world of international taxes. It's not the most fun subject to talk about, but it's one of the most important and confusing that I hear about all the time from those of you in the audience. So I've had Kathy on the show before. She's the CEO of Wanderers Wealth. And afterwards, I became a customer of hers because her global tax strategy, design course is incredible. It literally walks you through all the steps that you need to take in order to take advantage of the international tax system that is set up to actually help those of us that are living this international lifestyle. So it's highly recommended. You can find the link in the show notes for her global tax strategy design course. Check it out and let me know what you think. My guest today is Peter Fabor. He is the founder and CEO of Surf Office, which is one of the worldwide leaders in retreat planning. Companies around the world. So they actually take and lead other companies on their retreats, which is becoming a super popular thing in the future of work discussion. So also something that I'm really passionate about and love focusing on. So it was really cool to sit down with one of the true leaders in this space. They lead teams all around the world. And Peter himself is a seasoned digital nomad and expat that has moved to a variety of countries in different places around the world. So it was a lot of fun to talk with him, learned a lot, and really enjoyed getting to know more about the origins of Surf Office, a company that I've been following for a long time. So thank you to Peter for joining us and sharing so much of his story with us. I hope you enjoy. Please help me in welcoming Peter to About Abroad. So you're currently where you're on vacation, right? You're taking some time away? Yeah, staying in a a little Eastern Europe country called
1: Moldova because that's where where my wife is from and we are visiting the family here and I'm working from the countryside using the mobile Moldavian data. Nice. So you're tethered to your mobile device for this call then, huh? Yeah, I just bought, it's extremely cheap by the way here, like if anyone is considering to visit Moldova and work from here I just bought uh, 60 gigs of data for 4 euros at the airport and it's super fast. We have this interview using the Zoom. We are recording the podcast and, and it works without any, any problems. So I'd, from my experience, is the fastest and cheapest mobile data I, or let's say the value for money what I experienced in, in Europe working remotely.
0: That's insane. I always get people asking me, like I occasionally work from my camper van and generally like getting out into like kind of the off the beaten track, I guess you'd say into some like pretty rural areas and can work. And I've even actually recorded a couple podcast episodes tethered to a mobile device do, doing exactly that and it kind of blows my mind how fast it is and then I'm able to do it from like pretty much anywhere and I won't say in the world because I haven't traveled all around the world but at least anywhere in Europe I haven't really had too much too many challenges it's it's pretty it's like pretty crazy how accessible remote work is now, isn't it? Uh, for, for how much? I'm curious because it's
1: something I would like to try, like working remotely from a campervan. I always use campervan just for for traveling and going to surf with friends. But for how many days you can actually like stay there and work and be productive, or is it like for just a temporary work, like for five days or a few days, or you can work for camp from campervan for one or two months comfortably? What What's your experience or opinion?
0: Yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for the people that can do like the full-time camper vanning, especially I think I think a big difference here, a big like factor is if you're doing it alone or with a partner, you know, multiple people. It's, for me, it's quite challenging having a partner and we also have a big dog in a small space and trying to be productive for a long period of time. So like a week or two weeks or something is, is no problem at all. We did, for some reason, I can't remember if it was eight weeks or 10 weeks last year and that was way too much. Like I took a good bit of vacation in the middle of that so I wasn't working for it the whole time, but I, yeah, like it's it's great for me for a, a reset, like a change of pace. I, I get invigorated by being in a new place and the new scenery, and it really sparks the creativity. But there is a diminishing return <laughs> that sets in. I, so I would say like two weeks is kind of the the top, the the max for me. Huh?
1: I can imagine that you had to fight with your partner about who is going to have a call inside of the campervan and who has to go outside, right?
0: You and you—that's the thing. You 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 find yourself. You have to make those trade-offs on every single decision like you know it's not just like who's gonna take a shower and then who's not and who's gonna like have coffee and who's not who's gonna take who's gonna take the call who's gonna you know go walk the dog and get every single decision you you find yourself discussing every single decision it gets a little a little heavy nobody's gonna feel sorry for you but <laughs> but it, it is a bit to juggle do you have a camper van as well peter no i
1: had that was my first uh, that was my first car i never had like real car uh, you know like for people. I The first car I had was, was a camper van and I bought it together with a friend of mine to just go to travel to s- mainly spend time in uh, at the south of France, uh, north of Portugal, uh, Spain and basically surfing. We're sleeping in the camper van, sometimes going with friends together. And I have amazing memories. We did the trip from, from Bratislava, from Slovakia. The longest one was we went uh, to the south of Spain, Huelva, and then from there, there by ferry to, to Canary Island. So we left it there and the plan was that it never happened. We had the plan that let's continue back to Africa, Senegal, with some ferry and and make it to the Cape Town, like the south. And that was like a dream. We were still at at the university and we planned to do it one summer, but it ended up that we we just used that Campervan in Canaries. We were traveling to Canaries to surf and every time we came, we just used the Campervan and we had it parked there. And then we just decided one day that, okay, it, it causes more problems then it brings benefits so we decided to to sell it so that's my experience with the with the camper one but i never worked from there and i think it was also at the time when it was not not the thing that uh, it was like in 2000 between 2011 until 2013
0: oh man you were doing it early before before it was cool
1: and it was also not it didn't look so cool it was just like old Volkswagen but not those really old ones that look really cool it was from 94 so it looked relatively modern but it was still 20 years old one and it yeah i since then i have uh, also some blocker with having a car like i don't want to have a car because i had so many so many headaches with this camper one like there was always something not working so i i i'm Kind of against the cars. That's maybe why I live in Amsterdam. That I go everywhere by bike or or by uh, by walk, and I'm using the car sharing, so I don't need to own a car.
0: You know what? I have a like a desire to not own a car as well. One of the things that I really love about living in Europe is that I don't need a car. Like I have a camper van now, and that a toy is an extra thing that helps me travel. But that's something I, I think coming from America, and like like you just grow up needing a car. And I really love not having a car, and I find it really funny that. I have this camper van now because my first camper van experience sounds like it was very similar to yours. It uh, it was also a Volkswagen and it had tons of problems. I, I think I've told the story on this podcast before, but like essentially just ended up on tons of tow trucks and fell apart. Ended up getting to Ireland and selling it there, so I sold it on another island after deciding it wasn't worth it anymore. And and anyway, I mean it was just it was just a disa- a bit of a disaster. But but also had dreams of doing these like long cross-continent camper vans trips and that one driving to the southern tip of Africa would be completely epic. Do you know anybody that's actually done that?
1: Not really.
0: Maybe there are some people like doing it as an adventure
1: expedition. But we the way how we traveled was that that's what I loved about traveling with Campervan that we didn't have a plan. Maybe we had the plan that we knew what is the end destination, but we didn't really know exactly how to get there. And we didn't have plan that, okay, we need to stay three days here and five days in San Sebastian and three days in Bilbao. No, we were just like, oh, we like it here. We like Biarritz. Let's stay here for, for more days, you know? And this is how you travel. And I think when you go to <laughs> Cape Town, you have to plan it better <laughs> also because of the security and, and so. So we were probably not the best type of people at the time to to plan such a trip. So maybe it's for good that we didn't decide to
0: <laughs> to go. Probably so. Yeah, probably in the end, <laughs> one of those experiences that's nice to dream about and who, who knows how it would have turned out. It's cool that, that that took you to the Canary Islands. And it sounds like, I mean, I know about your business, which we're, we're going to get into here with Surf Office and I'm I'm super excited to learn a lot more about it because it's something that I I think is such a cool experience and the origin story is something that I know a little bit about but I I don't know all the details of. So I want to ask you about that. But is that sort of how you found like chasing surf, sort of how you found the Canary Islands or were you already kind of, were you already aware of the Canary Islands, already spending time there and then discovered a passion for surfing? Because it sounds like that's been a, a core part of your your journey and story.
1: No, my passion for surfing actually started earlier. I lived in Barcelona for a few months. I was doing their internship and a friend of mine, it's, exa- it's actually the guy with who I later, a couple of years later, bought the Camp He just came to visit me for a week, but he stayed for one month and he he told me that he tried surfing in, in France in Biarritz and we should go together and because it's amazing. And we just bought the tickets for a bus from Barcelona to San Sebastian, and then, then from San Sebastian we used some trainer we get to Biarritz, and we just bought in Decathlon, we bought some equipment for camping, rented the surfboards, and that's how I started to surf. And and since then I've been obsessed by it, or I, I love the combination of traveling and, and doing some, some sport activities. So every summer or every every other opportunity I had to travel and to go surf since then, I um then Canary Islands, because they are the place where you can to surf during the winter and the weather is still very nice and that's ex- that's exactly the the place where you want to be during the winter if you if you like surfing in europe or you can go somewhere else to mexico or bali or morocco but in europe that's that's the place to be during the winter
0: yeah i've i've fallen in love with kind of spending my spending at least like a part of my winter in in the canary islands it's, it's just an awesome place i'm fascinated by like the different terrain like you can be on these tiny islands Islands that you can drive across in like an hour and see like volcanoes and like like volcanic mountains that are like look like mordor and like green lush hills and and cliffs and then beautiful water and waves and beaches and it's like I don't know it's just they're, they're a crazy set of islands with with so much to offer
1: I, I agree which one which one is your favorite?
0: Uh, I mean I've visited so far I've visited three Tenerife. Gran Canaria and La Palma. And I mean the crazy thing is like they're all like relatively similar and relatively distinct in certain ways and I like them all for for different things. So I mean it's 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 super I'm sure it's for you as the same for you like kind of hard to say i really i had a great experience in la palma it was like the la isla bonita just like really laid back and chill i was coming from valencia and like the hectic city and just it was a very laid back experience but i mean i could make a hard case for loving any of them honestly this is the answer all canarians want to hear so don't
1: don't change it but you you are you are right i when i moved to to gran canaria my plan was visit all the islands so there are officially 7 but you can count eight because there is one smaller island north of Lanzarote. So if you count eight, I visited seven of them. So the one that is missing is La Lagomera. And exactly what you say, that each island is different and they are all beautiful. So there is not like the best island. There is best island for specific thing. If you want to surf or if you want a hike, it's the, each island is different. But from those three that you mentioned, like I love three of them, all three of them. But La, La Palma is somehow magical that I remember I've yeah. been on. The only ones, and we did a lot of hiking and it was it was amazing
0: how long did you live in the canary island or, or like i don't know how you define live but i mean how many years were you spending there uh, i
1: spent there two years in total where when i lived there but besides of that i spent there let's say in total three years or three and a half so with did nice. the visiting later but like Full time. I lived there for two years, but the time like it, it's very slow there. Uh, I have I have a feeling that uh, yeah, it's like four years uh, somewhere else.
0: There's like a, t- a Canary Island time warp that we enter. It does slow down. I think it's great when you
1: are older and you have family with kids. I think it's amazing place to to live and spend more time. But I moved there when I was I think 28. Twenty seven, twenty eight, and it was a bit slow for me, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a chill mindset. You have to go there with the with the right idea about like what you want. And, and so, what I find really interesting, if I understand it correctly, and I'll probably just ask you to like just tell the story. But like, it sounds like you were there in Grand Canaria, I believe, and wanted to wanted to have some place to work and surf, and thus, surf office was born. Is that more or less correct?
1: Yeah, the more or less, uh, more or less, you are right. Tell the story better than. Me. I shouldn't have even tried to paraphrase. <laughs> you said it correctly. It's a, it, it's a short version for sure. I worked for moving to Gran Canaria. I visited it a couple of times uh, because of these camper van trips I told you about. And I worked at that time before moving to Gran Canaria. I worked in, uh, in Czech Republic in Prague for one... Uh, Tech company and as a as a user experience designer and I just realized that I worked there for two years and and going I went to the office so it was not a remote job there were actually not very many remote jobs at that time and I just realized that I can I can do this remotely I don't need to go to the office because I interacted mainly with developers they didn't want to have meetings with me they appreciate the communication by the async by email or by chat whatever and they replied to me whenever they have time uh, now what is coming like kind of a norm but at the time was like okay so I don't need to meet them if I don't need to meet them I don't need to be in Prague if I don't need to be in Prague uh, why where I could be and I thought like oh I would like to be in Canary Islands and it sounded like a crazy idea to to go to Canary Islands and I talked to my boss like about this thing and he was very skeptical about my productivity and so and I told him look if it's not going to, to work well you can call me anytime and I will buy the flight the next day and I will come back to Prague and <laughs> he he couldn't say no, and it, it worked well, and my... I had this idea before that I would like to move to Canaries and start this as a kind of side project, a hobby project to create something like a co-working, co-living space. Even I didn't call it at the time co-working, co-living space. Other people told me that I should call it
0: this way because that's, that's how it's called. I have this concept where people like work from the same place and like maybe they live there. I don't know. Crazy idea.
1: I just didn't want to work from there alone, you know, like so it was very small. I just rented the uh, one apartment and another apartment and and the little the workspace uh, was basically like a garage uh, converted into the workspace and and yeah people started to come and I got it your office so. There was this idea that oh people go to surf and to work and, and yeah, it was it was fun. I have so many good memories about those two years in Gran Canaria and I met so many so many good friends that I'm still in contact with until until now. It was definitely like a I, I would recommend it to anyone who not to start the business but to with the intention it was also my intention to to make a lot of friends, a lot of international friends. Like in two years you meet just, I don't know, one thousand people and of course you are not friends with all of them but if you meet it's about the quantity if you meet 1000 people you Portugal probably are going, going to, to make 100 friends and uh, yeah that was that was the idea and um and it it worked out we opened another one in uh, in lisbon not location i i moved to lisbon so then i moved in lisbon for for two years and then we slowly go by can continue with the story, like until now that we basically uh, started to get more and more companies, remote companies, contacting us, like, hey, we need to organize these offsite retreats for our teams, and and we had teams from from Automatic and top TopTal and, you know, like this first evangelist of remote work. And I thought like, oh, this is interesting. Like why we don't do just this? This is the future. I just saw it as like, this is the future, you know? And I was so engaged in the conversations with these people that uh, I remember that we had this first group from Automatic WordPress guys that they were telling me about the Slack, how they are, what they are using for communication. And it Nobody was using Slack. It was a it was completely new thing. And I was like, oh, wh- why are you using it? How does it work? And yeah, I was like, okay, we are going to use Slack as well. And when, when was this, Peter? Like roughly? The 2000 with this Slack, I think it was in 2015.
0: I mean, it, that doesn't, like when you say 2015, it doesn't sound like that long ago. But in this time warp that we're talking, <laughs> two time warps, time warp of Grand Canaria and time warp of, of just like remote work and the quick evolution that's happened overnight. It's like, that seems like like decades ago yeah. in some ways. Like, I mean, that's that's true pioneer work at, at 2000, in 2015.
1: Uh, for me, it was impressive that uh, what these companies were doing. And I it was very clear that this is going to be the future. I just didn't know. I, I expected that it will take at least 10, 15 years like, to change yeah. the mindset of people. But of course, COVID uh, speed up all of these transitions and now every tech company is basically remote. So it was a, it was a good decision that in 2017, we, we dropped the, the concept of co-working and co-living for individuals so we had individual people visiting and we've started to focus only on on companies and made it uh, made it more more professional started to work with the with the hotels and and expand it to more locations so that that's what we are doing right now
0: man it's it was that pivot strictly a business decision or or was there any other element to it that, that called to you?
1: I must say that I I was there on site, you know, for this co-working, co-living. And it, it was basically for three, more than three years, I've been doing like on-site support, managing the property and so. And I don't know, people who don't have experience with uh, such a thing, like managing the, or like little guest house, the same as me, I didn't have such experience before they think that it's oh it's it's easy like you can do it like yeah you just rent the building and then <laughs> and you you create the community you know everybody's talking about community man it's it's a lot of work and i was basically burnt out i i just didn't want to to do it anymore like to be on site and do everything by myself and i was thinking okay i learned a lot about uh how to do this? how and, and started thinking, okay, how I can do this with the other companies, hotels that that are actually operating the property. I didn't want to 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 operate it, and I also didn't see it scalable. Like, okay, how we can add another building? We need to sign the lease, and it was yeah, there are a lot of headaches with the with the landlords, with the, a lot of things can that can happen to to property. So now, like, when someone is coming to me, like, I want to open a co living space, and and asking me for some ideas. Other advice i just drop some things what can happen and if they realize it you know like the like for instance the internet doesn't work and People who work remotely and they need internet, and if the internet doesn't work for 15 minutes, they're going to kill you, you know? like When you are at home and the internet doesn't work, it can happen because of the provider, whatever. You go for a walk, you are going to make a coffee, and you hope that it will start to work. It's not such a big deal. You apologize to your colleague who should have a meeting or something. But yeah, if you have 20 people in the workspace, so we... And with that, because of this, we developed like also a lot of ideas, a lot of processes that, for instance, for internet, we just contracted to in- the internet from th- two providers and to have like two setups for internet. And if it doesn't work, one, you can connect to another one. And like nobody is going to do that in the, in the whole like hotel or co-working space. Why would you pay for another internet connection? But it's not a big investment, you know? It's just like one line more. It's not, it's not a lot of money for the, for the value what you provide. And we had like, a lot of these little hacks, what we developed over the years, and I thought, yeah, we can actually use them working with other hotels and partners and to teach them how to provide better infrastructure for this for this retreat it was a useful experience
0: i was reading actually one of your articles you wrote about like like kind of coaching facilities on how to be retreat ready like how to you know kind of prep themselves for being able to accept ret- you know companies that want to come do their offsites there because i agree with you like i think it, you know you were saying this years ago like this is the future and and i believe that future has arrived and that the offsite the team retreat this is kind of like the the return to office this is this is like a core part of how these distributed teams of all nature are going to build team culture and camaraderie and and push big ideas forward so that that future has arrived now and there are a lot of people individuals companies out there and and venues included in that that are wanting a piece of that pie right okay. and saying yeah we can do that you know we we do we cater to this type of company all the time sure we can cater to team off sites and team retreats and things like that and the truth is is like a lot of venues aren't really set up for this no. and that there's not a lot of expertise often in in running these things well is that fair to say in your opinion absolutely that's our biggest struggle to find the right
1: venues and not only it's almost impossible to find the venues with the right setup and everything, everything what we expect uh, from the venue to host uh, offsite. It's even difficult to find the venues that have open mindset to change things, you know, like we we work with the hotels that we already host their a couple of retreats and they see that, okay, we can serve office can bring them a lot of business, but we want from them some changes to improve the internet connection or to change if the hotel has uh, three meeting rooms or five meeting rooms to dedicate one to serve office and design it maybe in a different way because the traditionally the hotels receive the corporate customers customers or kind of like workshops and presentations, you know, and and they are not used to, like, we still experience it that they are shocked that, Oh, but these people that were working on the laptops for five days. I was like, yes, that's exactly what uh, all the groups of office is going to send you are going to do that. Yeah, there is some maybe some presentation of the CEO here and there, but it's mainly about um, just working, working together. And you chase you. I've been following you on, on Twitter and there is this super interesting uh, framework you You came with like how to divide the time during the retreat between the activities that are work related and not work related. And we have been seeing, uh, a huge shift from companies that came for retreat just uh, you know to have some presentations and uh, kind of like workshops and because they realize that they can do it async they can do it on on Google Docs or on Slack or on Zoom and it's like you don't want to waste that precious time during the retreat and they we see a huge shift that the companies are doing more like a team building but more like focus like how to create the environment for employees that they can just like chat together about whatever they ended and they end up talking about the work on and their projects and it can be work so that you need like some work setup up where you are just with the laptop like in the co-working space but you can interrupt other people and some others join and start to talk about something or yeah just going for a walk together and and chat and this is like way more important than like having some presentation and the projector you know and and this <laughs> type of uh, the the audio visual setup that what mo- what most hotels are focused on like they expect that this is the corporate customer and this is how should how should work so that's like a long answer to your question i saw that you organized retreat recently in austria like did you because i saw that you were posting about this framework how to divide the time like uh, before like did it work for for the duis retreat or are you now you see it differently.
0: Yeah. I, so, I mean, this is something that I just genuinely love doing. I feel so lucky. It's like a core part of my my job now because I get to really think about how to do it at a really high level. So I, I read a lot and follow other people like yourself and the content that you put out there and try to take from everybody their different concepts because, you know, I guess there's no like one right way to do a retreat, for instance. But like for in our case, like at Duist, we're, you know, like some of the core fundamentals of the company are like we're super asynchronous, like like very far on one end of the spectrum in terms of asynchronous. So we have very few meetings. We're completely distributed and every I think every third person is from a different country. So we have like almost nobody even in the same country. We have no we have very few virtual meetings. So like everything we do is hyper optimized for for asynchronous. And I would argue like too much in some cases, like we need to pull it back in some ways, and so our retreat for us is like maybe different from a lot of uh, some other companies in that, like we're really just like focused on using this time to connect with each other and and provide opportunities for that serendipitous conversation that we don't get to have in the virtual world, like the the, the downsides of fully distributed work. So exactly as you said, like we try, we we're like it, it's very tempting to be like, okay, we're going to be in one place for a week once a year, like let's conquer our biggest problem. You know, let's let's do lots of brainstorming because that can be better in a virtual environment, or let's like figure out, let's do a one week hackathon. Like we we have these ideas. Let's do these workshops. But what we found is that actually like we don't end up getting a ton out of them. Like like there's value there for sure. But there's also value doing that async and virtual. And then like so weighing those two things out, it's not like overwhelmingly better when we do it together but what is overwhelmingly better is that connection that team building that having fun together that getting to know one of your teammates that you you know you never otherwise would have a chance to talk to because they work on the other side of the world or whatever so we really just like re- re-optimize everything for for that experience and then like sprinkle in some work here and there and I get it that's not going to work for everybody like a lot of people would say that's crazy it's a waste of money you got you you got everybody together like you got to get something out of it mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. I think we do but yeah that's been the the way that we've that it's it's worked out for us um, I we had a blast we went to like a small we rented a small village in the Austrian Alps and just hung out in the Alps and did a bunch of mountain activities hiking and paddle boarding and all, went all in on like costumes and traditional lederhosen and stuff <laughs> and just got of just had fun and and, and Enjoyed spending some time together.
1: I saw some pictures; it, it looked amazing. One hundred percent agree with you. It's also like I see the evolution with our own office retreats because we are we're also a remote team in some way, very similar to to do is what you described that uh, basically every person is from a different country so we are not we are 17 people and i don't think there are more than two people from the same nationality so it's like really like a interesting mix and maybe it's coming from me but i believe that there are more people in the team as well who don't like the meetings and and push the the async communication so we don't have very many meetings like we have all hands because yeah we decided that it's good to have all hands but we don't have it every week we have it just every every two weeks and we try to avoid like most of the meetings so the meetings i have uh, with the team per week are maybe like two three but then i i, I like to talk with the uh, with the customers or with other people and it when we organized retreats before it was more focused on Yeah, we should come with some big ideas and we should brainstorm and we play these games that everyone had to come with the ideas for if you have a budget uh, 10,000 euros and if you have a budget 1 million, like what would you change in the company, you know, and this type of exercises and the end of the retreat, we... We came with some OKRs. Basically, that was the that was the idea. And everyone was exhausted. There was not so much team building, and uh, there was not so much of that trappendity time you mentioned. And and we tried to do it differently this time. We had uh, after COVID for the first time we had the retreat in the last month like three weeks ago and we tried to do it completely differently and it worked out some people were surprised like why we don't have some presentations or why we don't we had some brainstormings and discussions but it was more about uh, the company culture uh, where we would like to go like yeah what's the direction how we are committed to what we are doing and and so and so people sharing their own stories but it was not focused on we were not focused on coming uh, about coming with some big ideas and my conclusion Conclusion about it was also like, if you come to the retreat and you don't know what are these big problems you have to solve, then there is a problem, right? Like it's, it's not something you should figure out during the retreat. You should, everyone should know what are the biggest problems. Maybe their area, their department and focus on them. And retreat shouldn't be a place to figure out like what are these problems? You can discuss them, of course, but it was difficult. Like, yeah, you organize a retreat. It's like everyone flies from different places. It's a big commit- time commitment for everyone. It costs a lot of money. You have the internal pressure to to do some important work, but actually it's not so important. Not important is to to focus on that team bonding.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I find it really funny because it's like, it, well, what can happen is, is you can start to think of that week. Let's say you even do it more than most companies and you do quarterly offsites or retreats. You can start to think of that week as like, that's our get shit done week. That's when we really tackle things. And then what does that turn the other 11 weeks in the quarter into? You know, I think it should be inverted and we should be optimizing the work for those 11 weeks per quarter that you're getting a lot done. And then that one week where you get to fill in the gaps. And, and so I've seen that happen, you know, where, where it says, oh, we'll, we'll tackle that at the offsite. And it's like, well, the offsite's in four weeks. Like, why aren't, why don't we tackle it right now? And that's one thing that I will push back on with people sometimes when they're talking about these strategies is like, you know, I I do get that you can get stuff done during that time. But I will, I don't, I would just, I'm always worried when I start to hear my team say, oh, well, we'll, we'll tackle that when we get to the retreat. and say, No, 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 no. Because we don't want to show up to the retreat and start figuring stuff out then. So, yeah.
1: But on the other hand, I see this working, like, if you want to focus on some problem and brainstorm this is great for uh, smaller retreats like team retreats of departments or functional areas of the company then it's great you you decide that you want to you're joined with the marketing team and and you want to decide like okay what are our customer acquisition channels and what we want to optimize what channels we want to add and, and this ty- this type of like brainstorming it's great to do during the retreat but when you are meeting the whole company it can be a waste of time to do this type of work.
0: We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes, to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now, this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So They know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. If you've made it this far into the episode and you're still enjoying yourself, then I would love to ask a quick favor. Open up the app that you're using to listen to this podcast and leave a quick review. You can do this in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and really just about any platform that allows podcast listening now. If you can't find that in the interface of the app, then scroll down in the show notes and find ratethispodcast.com slash abroad, and you should be able to leave it from there. Thanks so much, guys. We really appreciate it and hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Actually I think that would be an interesting segue I would love to for, to illustrate this for somebody listening who's you know now got a general idea of what you guys do and and they they agree with us that you and I you know that retreats are awesome and they should be a core part of how any kind of remote distributed team is is functioning but how might Surf Office insert themselves into this if you know I'm company X and I okay great I want to start doing offsites and retreats Surf Office what do I do how do, how do you how do they engage with you and, and what does that process look like and and what value are you adding There
1: is interesting journey that I thought like, oh, a retreat this is something what any company needs, right? Like you, you meet somewhere, you have like a focus time for your employees and team bonding and so and so. And then I realized that not every company needs that. Remote companies need that. And we don't need to reach out to them because they reach out to us. So if you need it, you will find office Like I had a call with one customer this week and she, she told me that, uh, yeah, I, I want to organize retreat by myself. And I was just like Googling a lot of different things and is popped up everywhere so yeah I decided to <laughs> I decided to contact you we create a lot of content for companies so this is also like our strategy or approach we build a lot of content about how to organize a company retreat and there are all these little nuances you you are very familiar with because you organize this thing in do it but uh, what is the right time to do it like how to choose the location how to internally coordinate the best dates you know like it, if you it's sounds like it's not difficult, but it's extremely difficult because a lot of people are in they want to be involved in the decision and so so we create a lot of content and our idea is that uh, we want to provide we we, we basically provide all our know-how and if you want to organize a retreat by yourself go ahead Uh, (laughs) but we always say like yeah but if you don't want we can do it for you and we have a lot of we have a lot of customers who who read our content our ebooks our guides and then they organize retreat by themselves and they come to us that oh can you do it the, can can you do the next one for us with your office and the reason so i'm uh, now I'm, I'm pitching like what are the pain points like why they come to us to organize a retreat so the pain points are basically that it takes a lot of time or to organize it. So if you are in the company, you usually there is no person in the company that, who is dedicated just to organize a company retreat. So you have many other responsibilities. And these other responsibilities are usually more important than organizing a, a retreat. And uh, you have to prioritize, you know, and this Retreat planning, it can take something between like part-time, but before the the retreat, like one month, it can be easily full-time and uh, you don't have basically time for anything else. So that's one reason. If there are more people in the company, they can maybe divide the work and also diversify. That what if you are the organizer of retreat, and you are going to be sick? You know, like who who is going to do it instead of you? So that that's one thing, like saving the time. And another thing, what I think is, I think is maybe even more important is that we help you to fund the venues and the vendors that are that are trusted because we already work with them and we tested them and even if you are lucky and you find a good venue i mean the accommodation for the for the retreat and the internet works and all these things works just one little thing that uh, you don't consider as important, for instance, I don't know, transfers from the airport or some team building activity doesn't work, it can quite ruin your retreat. It doesn't, it will not ruin it completely, but uh, it will create very bad experience. And yeah, we just try to minimize or completely remove this type of situations. Customers sometimes don't, they don't realize it that for instance, uh, I don't know, like we have a book transfers and, uh, and the day before the retreat, the transfer company said that they, They messed up with the dates and the transfers... Are cancelled, like they cannot do anything. So, but we have some other backups, and we can figure it out in in very short time. And the customer doesn't know there is just someone bus waiting at the airport. You know, sometimes we have this problem to explain that these are the benefits of organizing retreat with zero office You know, but you very often you you just don't see them. Yeah, and then and and we basically try to focus on the infrastructure, so all the logistic related to the retreat. So we are not going to tell you what you should do. During the retreat, if to focus on team bonding or organize workshops. So you can focus on this part because. That's another thing. What I found um, quite difficult when you organize retreat by yourself, that you have to focus a lot on logistics, and then you have less time to focus. Okay, what are we going to do the first day, second day? And that's that's the most important thing, right? And uh, these these are more or less the the benefits of zero And then for larger companies, the biggest benefit uh, benefit is that it can scale because you start to organize retreats and you have more teams. You have dozens or or hundreds of teams, and uh, yeah. You should what you should do to build a, some department inside of the company that is going to take care of the events. Is it your core activity, core business? Doesn't make much sense to do it. So let's work someone like Cirroffis that focuses only on 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 this one thing.
0: And how many locations are you guys in now? Because as I understand it, you have like an inventory of different types of venues, like not just. I mean we could start at this the country and city level maybe there but then kind of disperse down to like the types of locations cuz I think that's also something that sets you apart from you know anybody could go to Marriott or Hilton or something and just you know, book a book, a 30 room block at the W and whatever place Mm -hmm. around the world. But you're looking at unique locations, I think, and and the the location of those where they are in the world, but also in the venue itself, correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Right now we have officially on the website, uh, I think 26 locations, but we have maybe another 30 locations that we are offering to our existing customers if they are interested in. So there is constant like testing of the new locations. Because and we just add them based on based on the demand and of course there is a parity law that they some locations they work more and some locations they work less like for instance I, I always thought like oh Madeira is such a cool place I've been there many times this is amazing location for company retreats and I think we organized just one small team retreat there until now since we did like it was one of the first locations when we started to focus on retreats of since 2017, so for five years, because it's just so difficult to get there, you know? Yeah. And maybe that was not clear for us at that time, but now like, okay, we focus on the how to get there. But even with the, because when we organize retreats for larger groups, because we started with like team retreats of uh, eight, 10, 12 people, but now we organize also a lot of, a lot of events for like 300, 400 people. And yeah, you have to you have to go to this to these bigger hotels uh, because you cannot find like some cool alternative venue for uh, 400 people. Even a lot of companies they think that you can, you know, like we have a lot of requests like, oh, we are three hundred people, can you find me something like glamping but not far from the airport? We can do full buyout but only for two nights, you know, like a lot of requirements and they literally describe something what what doesn't exist. So you need to go a bit to the compromise and uh, working with the bigger hotels is actually it's a good it's a good thing but you I don't know what's your experience but I was very surprised that it's also difficult to find these big hotels like it's not that oh you can go to any big hotel and uh, and organize offside there no like we work with um, also like bigger chains and they may, they can have portfolio of 500 hotels, but only let's say 10 or 15 are actually good for a, for company retreat because of the distance from the airport, the the setup of the meeting spaces. Some hotels, for instance, they, they don't have on-site restaurant and okay, they don't offer catering. So what are you going to do with, uh, I don't know, 100 people? Like, are you going to order with the Uber Eats? No, there is no Uber Eats in that location. So you, you need to have a certain setup so even with larger hotels it, it is difficult and we work like very closely with them and we research all their hotels we visited their hotels and we know what are these like these few hotels that are good fit for offsite so you can figure it out by yourself but it will take you it will take you a lot of time and you probably have some other things to do at your at your job
0: as as you and i can attest to like these things take a, a ton of time resources energy and and i think the key like the one thing that maybe gets mentioned or failed to mention in that list, sometimes is like creativity. Like, the, if this is going to be a core part of these companies' DNA, you know, if you want to do these at a really high level, you can't just go to the Hampton Inn off of I 40 and, you know, the local steakhouse and like expect people to walk away feeling invigorated. This is like maybe your once a year or twice a year, three times a year opportunity to bring people to a really cool place to, to enjoy themselves, to make it easy and convenient so that they don't leave feeling exhausted and, and you know, tired from all the travel, you want people to be really pumped about going to these, and also leave really feeling more connected to the to their teammates, to the company, to the mission, all this stuff. And so, to do that, I think it really takes a professional. Like, it takes someone who who loves it, and also who has the vision and the connections for for creating an awesome event. And it's not just like I, I heard somebody say, like don't don't leave your offsite to Bob in accounting. Like Bob in accounting didn't sign up to be an offsite leader and to create an awesome event. Bob of an accounting signed up to be awesome at accounting so let him do that and then find someone that can that can do this really well for you I've also found like it can you know it, it, it makes sense financially as well like you have connections you know where to go you're going to cut out a lot of those extra costs that that people are going to the mistakes that they're going to make along the way and, and so I, I find that usually pays for itself you know, by hiring a professional like like you guys.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's we also found that we like our, our niche is also somewhere in more like I would call it affordable retreats because there are a lot of agencies that focus on very customized uh, premium luxury retreats we are not really in this segment so we focus on on being like functional affordable but still like with very good standard and experience but we we don't do like i don't know like you want to have a logo of your company on the wall on, of the hotel i saw some companies doing this type of things like nah, we don't really do that you know so because and also these things are uh, extremely expensive you know so the retreat and and there are customers there are companies that have budget for it that's fine but we found out that yeah most of the companies they want to do something just yeah good functional meeting people have great food staying at a great venue and ideally not spend uh, so much money on it. Like they, they have some budget, but they don't want to like, okay, we don't want to go crazy. Like there are very few customers They say like, oh, we want to go crazy. We have few and these are funny stories, but usually it's opposite. And yeah, and I believe that it's service is if you want to organize this type of retreat, I believe that service is not more expensive or not much more expensive that if you organize it by yourself, because if you organize it by yourself, you are never going to get a very good rate from the hotel. You run also to a lot of risk. I heard stories that, for instance, hotel can cancel your reservation like one week before the retreat because they, they will probably not do it for a group of 100 people. But if you are a group of like 20 people and you have offsite and they get a better booking because you, you booked it like eight months in advance and you get like better rate because they didn't know how many bookings they are going to have. And now they last minute, they get like amazing booking for your date. Like it's, it's very unprofessional but there are some hotels who are going to cancel your reservation. And because they know that you didn't book through booking.com or some platform, you cannot leave them the review. You can write about it on Twitter, but nobody cares, you know? And yeah, they ju- they will just make more money. And uh, through is like, until something like this happens to you, like you don't realize the value of through office because these things are not happening to us because we have uh, the contract, we have the partnerships with the hotels and they are not going to, to do that. And if they would do... We would, uh, we would find you some other venue at the same location and you will not even, maybe not. So uh, yeah, these are, these are like a lot of things like hidden that can be very costly. So the retreat then can be very, very expensive. But if you organize a budget retreat like a lot of companies start this way. For us the same, we rented some Airbnb in Prague for the first serve office for our own retreat. And yeah, you can make it very cheap and cool. Once you scale and you have like more than, let's say 15, 20 people at the event, you, yeah, you you cannot do this like, Crazy budget things that people cook for themselves.
0: And it gets a little chaotic at that point. And, and also, like, I think it could start to like detract from the experience of the whole entity when, when you're not like optimizing it for the group. I, we do two different types of retreats at us We do what we call mini retreats, which are like the individual team ones. Those are pretty budget friendly or mm-hmm. like they're pretty, they're the budget's pretty tight for those. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sound more like, like that. And I think that's cool. You have that element where you're like cooking dinner together or sharing an Airbnb. It's, it's, Pretty intimate, and then we have like our company retreat, which is the whole company, and, and that one's obviously structured very different. But I think I've I've really enjoyed something, and it sounds like you know we we share this like the dichotomy between those different types. Like there again, there is no like one way to do this. It's there's a lot of different methods you can place depending on your budget and what you're trying to accomplish, and the distribution of your team. And there's just there's so many different avenues you can go that can all work in their own individual way. I guess
1: absolutely say that we never try to convince anyone like you should organize retreat with us, you know, we just place like these are the benefits. And if you understand the value, you can do it with us. But when I, for instance, talk with, it happens very often that you talk with the customer and they're like, ah, but I can do this by myself. And my reaction is always like, do it. Do it by yourself yeah, go for and it. try it. <laughs> and you are, I'm sure that it's going to be good, you know, like it's going to be great. And you will, if something goes wrong, you will uh, improvise and you you will create like great experience for your team. am I'm, I'm pretty sure about it. But, uh, depends like how much stress it's going to be for you and how much improvisation you need to do. And, and maybe next time you will consider service office. But if someone wants to do like different type of retreat or budget one or super custom one, like, yeah, you, you can do it by yourself and, and. We we are happy to provide the as I said, like a lot of content what we what we build exactly for these people who want to do it by themselves and maybe one day they will decide to do it with us. There are hundreds of ways to organize a retreat. Exactly what you yeah. said.
0: Yeah, and there's and there's tons of great content on your website blog. You also have a podcast, which is absolutely worth checking out. So I'm realizing we're we're running short on time, and I would love to keep asking you a ton of <laughs> questions. Uh, I want to get to plugging all those places real quick uh, where people can learn more um, before just before we get to that. I would mm-hmm. love to know you guys have so you have these 26 locations that you really advertise across the uh, on the website, and then these 30 others, and you know theoretically you could do a retreat anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious. What do you feel makes a really good location for for all these people out here who are going to give this a shot on their own? You know, they're planning. I I talk to these people every single, almost every single day now, and I know you do as well. That are going, yeah. uh, uh, Suddenly, my team's gone remote, and I'm supposed to plan an offsite, and I don't really know what I'm doing. So, starting at just the very highest level, because I think that's what we have time for here, and where Mm -hmm. we'll give somebody some a jumping and a launching pad to get them started. What do you think makes for a good location a retreat?
1: Considering where your team is located and how easy it is to get there. I would say this is the number one thing. We have a tool on the website. When you go and in the, the top navigation, you find resources. There is a tool called Location Finder. Where you can add the where your team is located, where your employees are located, how many of them are located in which location, and it will calculate you the most optimal location for your retreat, or or there are more options you you will you will get. And it's exactly designed for remote. For remote teams, we connect it to the API of of kiwi.com like the search engine for the flights and uh we use their we use their engine to calculate this so this is like a good tool to start with to see like uh, to have like some overview of the locations that are good for your own team and then i would focus in general for Especially now, like traveling is crazy. You don't want to have layovers when you are, when you go for, for retreat because the lot of flights are canceled and, and uh, delayed and you will lose your, your next flight. So you want to focus on what are the locations where most people can get directly by plane. That's number one. Uh, And these are usually like. There are not many of them. Like for instance, in Europe, if you want to go to like more sunnier locations, you have you have Lisbon, Madrid, Barcelona, Rome, and if you want to go like more to the north, you have Amsterdam, Paris. Yeah, there there are more locations, but there maybe (laughs) I don't consider Berlin. I don't consider them so interesting. You know, like I like I like Munich, for instance, but I don't think I would organize their company of that, you know, so that's about like the the general location. And then the second important aspect is the location of the venue you want to be yeah. you want to be close to the airport and even you consider it like oh we can somehow manage it imagine there are some people traveling for 12 20 24 hours they arrive to the airport they are completely exhausted they have jet lag and now do you want to travel with them by bus to for 2 or 3 hours somewhere to the to the venue no you want to be maximum 1 hour from the airport and my advice to even yeah, like you will create better experience if you if you can do it even less than one hour. Like if you for instance in Lisbon, it's very popular location for us because you can the the airport is is small and it's directly in the city. So you fly to the to Lisbon and in ten minutes you can be by Uber in the city center of, of Lisbon. Barcelona is also Amazing. great, but Amsterdam is also great with the with the airport. But then you have, yeah, if you organize retreat in London, you fly to London and you need three hours to get to the city. So I, I would recommend to not focus on with location. Like that. that's maybe the last piece. I would recommend not to focus on, oh, I would like to go here. No, to be more open-minded and pragmatic about where you want to go.
0: Love it. A super practical. And as obvious as it might seem to the seasoned veteran, probably something that is, it can be easily overlooked. So Thank you for sharing. I can highly recommend people go check out your website. They're interested in learning more. You have tons of free tools like the one you just mentioned, lots of great content for anybody that just is getting started in this area and looking to take a team abroad to another country. It's a it's a great place to just get started, get your feet wet and learn more. And then if you feel you need some some extra help there, the surf office team is there to, to lend a hand. So Peter, thank you so much. This was awesome. I wish that we had endless more time to keep nerding out on company retreats. We'll have to have to save it for another time. Where can people go learn more about you, the the website, any any other links that you think people should go to and we'll we'll also add these to the show notes.
1: Yeah, the website is seroffis.com. I'm quite active on on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, so you can find me just by googling it, my name, Peter Faber. Yeah, I also start the blog that it's focused more on hospitality and there is for instance the article you mentioned how to how to build a venue that is ideal for hosting retreats, but I'm writing also about about glamping and co-living and, and all these other experiences I have in in, in hospitality. So yeah, check it out
0: awesome. It's good stuff, I, I can attest. So thank you for building in public and sharing all that you've learned on this journey. You've come quite a ways from a garage in, in Gran Canaria to, to organizing hundreds of retreats across the world and, and dozens and dozens of cities. It's, it's pretty awesome to watch from the outside looking in. So thanks for sharing with us here on About Abroad. I, I hope to catch up with you somewhere in the world before too long.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Great chat.
0: Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. aboutabroad.com newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.